0: Good morning. One of the great things about the uh, holiday season is the uh, coming together of families. And uh, I noticed this morning as we were gathering that uh, a lot of you have uh, friends and family with you, and we're so happy that you do. We welcome all of you, and are thankful that you can be with us to be a, a part of this worship today. It's a wonderful time of year, but always it's a wonderful time to worship our God and Savior our Savior Jesus Christ. We're glad that you're here to be with us this morning. In one of our Bible classes on Wednesday night recently in the book of Acts, we were looking at Acts chapter 6 and verse 15. Uh, The account of Stephen, who was one of the seven, you remember, who had been chosen to serve bread to the widows in Jerusalem. And uh, he was also a great preacher, and he began preaching, and it kind of roused the ire of some in the various synagogues of Jerusalem, and so they brought him before the council, before the Sanhedrin, for a trial that ended in his death. But Acts 6 and verse 15 says, before he began to speak, that all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And we had a discussion about that. What does an angel's face look like? How did they know what an angel's face looked like. You know, when we think about somebody looking angelic, we usually think of them as being sweet, kind, sort of (laughs) preacher-like. Okay, I threw that in, but um, you know, that's what we, an angelic look. And yet when we look into scripture, what we find is that most of the time when people saw angels, they were scared to death. They were frightened. And the angels have to tell them, don't be afraid. So what does an angel look like? Well, we really don't know. But it makes it perfectly understandable that when an angel of the Lord appeared to a group of shepherds somewhere in the vicinity of Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born, that they were filled with great fear, Luke says. They were filled with great fear. And not only did the angel appear, but the scripture says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. I can't imagine what that must be like. Can you? Can't imagine what the glory of the Lord shining around you must be like. The closest I can imagine is something like a, a huge um, a spotlight, a floodlight, or something, you know, shining down on you, except this has sound effects. And and there they were in the spotlight of heaven. And there they were hearing the voice of an angel proclaiming to them the wonderful good news of the birth of Jesus. But here we have this marvelous scene of heaven touching earth, and these shepherds are the witnesses to it, and they are at first very much afraid. The Bible says they were afraid, literally it says they feared a great fear. They feared a great fear, and I don't think there's any overstatement uh, in that. And so the angel said, fear not. Fear not, because the assurance came from the angel that he brought good news and not destruction. You know, that's one of the reasons in the Old Testament particularly that a lot of folks were afraid when an angel appeared because angels could come for blessing or they could come for judgment. They could come for uh, enrichment or they could come to bring destruction upon a city, upon a person, upon a nation, all kinds of things. And so until the angel speaks and tells you his purpose for being there, you really don't know. And how relieved they must have been to hear the angel say, fear not, because I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Now, that good news, that gospel concerned the birth of Jesus, the Savior, Unto you is born this day, they were told. Apparently this all happens the very same day of Jesus' birth. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The city of David was Bethlehem, not much of a city by our standards, kind of a small town, but it had a rich history because of David's association with it. David made it the capital of of his kingdom at first until he moved it to Jerusalem. But David uh, was associated with that city and the city always with David. And, And so people were expecting the Messiah who was to come to be a kind of second David. And so it was only fitting that the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem in the city of David. And so the shepherds are told that's what's happening here, that this king has been born who would deliver his people. And notice the three terms that are applied to him, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Savior who is Christ, the Lord. The Savior is a rescuer. The Christ is the Messiah. The Lord is God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. God present with us. God in the flesh. And so this good news was not just the birth of a a baby, but the birth of our Savior. And he said that would be great joy for all the people. Now, the angel knew that these shepherds were going to need some reassurance about all this. And so the angel said, I'm going to give you some signs or a sign. And they, the sign was going to be that they would find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You know, God knows our human limitations and he knows that we need assurance. You remember the story about Gideon in the Old Testament, how he had to lay out that fleece and then God gave him a sign. And then he said, Let's, can we do that again just to be sure? We're like that. We're weak. We're human, and so the angel said, "You'll you'll have a sign here that you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger." Now, the being wrapped in swaddling cloths uh, was not anything unusual. That's what they generally did with babies back in the, in those days. You would wrap their their limbs, particularly in these strips of cloth. The idea being to keep the limbs straight. I don't know what the poor little babies thought about it, you know, Uh, but that's what they would do. They would wrap them up, and uh, I remember uh, in years uh, past uh, being in uh, Ukraine and in Russia in wintertime, and you would see little babies that were just so wrapped so tightly. You couldn't see anything but their faces, and they were just wrapped, uh, you know, and you'd think, what's that going to do to them later in life, you know? Uh, Does that affect their personality in some way, not being able to move? Uh, When they were babies, but they they would wrap the babies in these strips of cloth. So that wasn't unusual. But what was what was unusual was that this baby wrapped in swaddling cloth would be lying in a manger. A manger is a feed trough. A manger is what animals eat out of. It's a wooden box where the feed is placed, so the animals can get to it. Now, there's always been a lot of discussion about where was that manger. And and we tend to visualize it as some sort of little lean-to, sort of outbuilding or something. And it might have been that. We don't know. It also could have been the lower level of somebody's house Uh, because a lot of folks had two-level houses, and in the lower level, they would keep the livestock, and then the family would live above. And the warmth of the livestock in cold weather would help to warm the family living above. Now, we won't talk about the warm weather, uh, but in the cold weather, you know, that was kind of, a, kind of a blessing. So they may have been in the lower level of somebody's house. An early second century tradition says that they were in a cave. And we never quite know what to make of those traditions. Are they based in, in reality? Were they based on history? Or was it just somebody's romantic idea? We don't know, but people did use caves. There are a lot of caves in that area, and they did use them. Uh, as pens for livestock, and so they could have been in a cave. But the baby is lying in a manger, and that's the way the shepherds find the baby. But this heavenly vision is not finished yet. Verses 13 and 14 say that suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Now, not just one angel, but a multitude. I have no idea what that must have looked like or that experience must have been like. But that's a lot of angels, whatever. But this multitude of the heavenly hosts appears, and they are doing two things. They are praising and they are promising. They are praising because they sing glory to God in the highest, just as you and I have just done. Glory to God in the highest, and they are promising on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I know that 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 version of that part of the verse is not what you're used to hearing. That's not the traditional translation. We're used to hearing peace on earth goodwill to men. Makes a better song. But the better manuscripts of the gospel of Luke actually read the way uh, that I read it just a moment ago. Peace on earth among on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So who is that? I think the the group with whom he is pleased, those with whom he is pleased, are those who acknowledge this newborn king, those who acknowledge his son, those who accept his son. Peace on earth to them. But don't miss the point that the song of the Song of Heaven was this Glory to God in the highest because of what he is doing in the birth of this child. Now, I want us to try to put ourselves in the place of this group of shepherds. When this happens how stunned they must have been by all of this and so they did about the only thing they could do they they went to Bethlehem to see let's go and see they said how could you not Uh, if a multitude of the heavenly host told you about this how could you not go and see and they're not that far away from Bethlehem and so they do they go and see and they hurried there the Bible says and they found it just the way the angels had said but when they found it, they didn't stop there. Verse 17 says that they told Mary and Joseph and everybody else who was there, and we don't know who else was there, but they told Mary and Joseph and all the others who were there what the angels had said to them, and that caused them to wonder. That caused them to wonder. And I find myself wondering about that word, wonder. Did it cause them to just be filled with wonder? Or did it cause them to wonder? What does all this mean? Does it cause them to wonder? What is God going to do next? But the story that the shepherds told caused them to wonder. And then verse 20 says they went back to work. They went back out to to the sheep. You can't just leave the sheep there. So they, they go back out, but they go with a different spirit. They go back to work glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. They returned to life. They returned to their work, but they returned with a very different spirit. I want you to think with me for a minute. Have you ever wondered why God would include shepherds in the birth of his son? Why are they here in Luke chapter 2? What's the importance of this? You know, in ancient Jewish literature, shepherds didn't have a very good reputation. And I'm talking about the Jewish literature, particularly from the time after Jesus, in the early, early centuries of Christianity. Shepherds didn't have a really good uh, uh, press from, from Jewish literature generally. They were thought of as dishonest. Some described them as thieves and liars, and they were not trustworthy. Their testimony was considered not valid in any kind of legal proceedings. And yet there are shepherds here in the story of the birth of Jesus. But it's a different story in the Bible, isn't it? Shepherds get a a whole lot better shake in the Bible than they do in popular Jewish literature. Shepherds are mentioned a hundred times in the the Bible. And think about this, who some of the shepherds of the Bible are. Psalms 23, the Lord is what? My shepherd. shepherd. I shall not be in, in want. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. All of these great figures from the Old Testament were shepherds. In John 10, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd of the sheep. And in Matthew 18 and Luke 15, he told two different parables about shepherds who cared so much for their sheep and were so diligent about taking care of the sheep. That when one got lost, just one out of a hundred, that shepherd went and searched for that sheep until it was found. Shepherd would not give up. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20, describe elders in the church as shepherds of God's people. That's a pretty high compliment, isn't it, for the idea of shepherding. To call elders in the church shepherds. And then Hebrews 13, verse 20, speaks of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So in the Bible, shepherds are described quite differently than they were in days after that, and yet we have to recognize that being a shepherd was a pretty lowly task. They weren't real high up on the social scale. I doubt that the pay was very good. They didn't have wealth. They didn't have power or anything of that nature, and A lot of people perhaps did look down on them for that reason. So why was the birth of God's son announced to them? Since they were insignificant, they were very ordinary, they were not powerful, they were not influential, this is not Herod the king, this isn't the Roman emperor, it isn't anybody like that. And I think the answer is pretty simple. It's because they were lowly and insignificant. At least in the eyes of the world, they were lowly and insignificant. But what better way to make the point that what God was doing through Jesus was for all the people than to include some of those that, that some folks might have thought could just as well be left out, they could just as well be passed over. And the way that the announcement was made, not in some kind of half-hearted or, or Backstage way, but in, with a full complement of the heavenly host and the, the glory of the Lord shining around them, showing that this Savior is Christ the Lord and guiding them and showing that that Savior is for everybody. Have you ever thought in the gospel accounts of Matthew and Luke and the story of Jesus' birth, how all humanity is covered? You've got male and female. You've got Matthew telling the story from the perspective of Joseph and Luke from the perspective of Mary. You've got old and young. You've got Mary, who's probably a teenager. And then you've got Anna, uh, who is at least 84 years old and perhaps had been a widow for 84 years. You've got Jews and Gentiles because those wise men who came from the east were apparently either Babylonians or Persians. So you have all of that covered. You you have the high and the lowly. You have kings. You have shepherds. You've got everybody encompassed in the story of the coming of Jesus. Why? To make the point that he has come for everybody, at least for those who will receive him. Now, we need to hear this today because we live in a world that loves to beat people down. We live in a world that loves to beat us down and make us feel insignificant. You know, no matter who you are, there's somebody out there who can make you feel insignificant or inferior or unworthy, that you're not good enough or you're not rich enough or you're not important enough or you're not famous enough or you're not powerful enough. The world is filled with prejudices against other people. And we just see that at work all the time and, and it's, it's disturbing and it's disrupting, but it's, it's just part of the, the human process. But through these lowly shepherds, God says to you and to me and to everyone that he values us. And he wants us to know how much he values us, no matter how others feel about us, no matter how we feel about ourselves. He wants us to know how important we are to him. God is saying through the story of these shepherds, I want you to to know my son. I want you to be in my kingdom. I want you to share eternity with me. No matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter how you see yourself or how others see you, I want you with me in eternity, God says. Besides, so often the the lowly are the more receptive to uh, the things uh, uh, of God. Who was it that heard Jesus gladly? It was the common people was the ordinary folks. And God knows that he wants everyone with him. You see right now today God wants you to know the joy that's experienced by these shepherds. He wants you to know that he desires you to be with him forever. Not because of anything that you do for him, not because of what you can do for him, but because of what he has done for you. In the giving of his son, not just in his birth, but in his death on the cross. And in his resurrection from the dead. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Is that you? that include you? Are you one of those with whom he's pleased? Let me urge you today to follow his son. So that he will be pleased with you. Acknowledge him. Trust him repent of your sins and turn instead to follow him. Be united with him in the act of baptism and have his spirit come to live within you. And then you'll know the joy experienced by those shepherds so long ago. You know, you may be thinking this morning, well, that, that's a nice idea. And I, I know that I haven't done that. And I know that I'm not, not yet a follower of Jesus, but it's, you know, hey, it's Christmas Eve and we've got other plans and there's lunch and What better time, what better day than the day when we're thinking about God sending his son into the world in the form of a baby to grow up and live and die in order to be our Savior. What better day, what better time for you to turn your life over to him, become one of those with whom he's well pleased. If you're ready to do that, come tell us. Let's stand and sing.